Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be at. We're going to pick up where we left off in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if uh, if you know your Gospels, you know that uh, the Sermon on the Mount is not just in Matthew. It's also in a couple, other couple places in the Gospels. And so if you have a little ribbon or a uh, like a bookmark or something, you might want to keep it in Luke chapter 11. Okay, so Matthew chapter 7. And Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11 uh, is the Luke's version, I guess, of the Sermon on the Mount, the way that he, he collects it or compiles it. And uh, they're really not different versions, but Luke, uh, Luke places things a little different that I think help make sense what we're going to look at today. So Matthew chapter 7 is our text. And then again, we're going to be looking back to Luke chapter 11 pretty frequently. And so if you want to put a finger or um, a bookmark or one of these little ribbon dealies in there, that might be helpful. Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. If you'd like to stand, you're sure welcome to as we read the Word of God. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Father, we ask you for those good things right now. Father, we ask you for the good thing of of relentlessness in our prayers. God, we ask you for the good thing of perseverance, of an unwillingness to quit as we come to you for all that we need. Father, you taught us to ask for, for righteousness, for a hunger and thirst for you. Lord, you told us to ask you to be a peacemaker, to be pure of heart, to be to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so, Lord, we ask for those things. We ask that this morning your spirit might carry us along, teaching, revealing truth, convicting us of sin, giving us power to live righteously. Father, we ask that you do those things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Sermon on the Mount, you may be seated. The Sermon on the Mount says lots about prayer. In fact, there was this little kind of moment where uh, I thought this week, I wonder if I should just skip this because we've already spent several weeks on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. But then I remembered, it's Jesus' sermon, right? Like, so this is the sermon that Jesus preached. And so if he saw fit to mention prayer multiple times, then we probably ought to listen to him, right? We probably ought to emphasize what he emphasized. And so this morning, we're going to look at, at, at really at, at the relentlessness of prayer. Now, I want you to remember a couple of things that we looked at during, during the other two sermons on prayer. And something we said over and over again, and it's just this theological concept that I want you to embrace, and that is that God in his infinite wisdom has determined to meet our needs and to advance his kingdom and to accomplish his will through prayer. Okay, now God would not have to do that. I, I want you to understand that God can do anything he wants. God, God can do the impossible. There's nothing impossible for God. But he has chosen in his, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, God has chosen to move and to work and to bless and to rescue 
through the prayers of his people, okay? That's the way he's wired the universe is that you pray and, and, and he responds to that prayer, okay? He, he's wired it to work that way. He prompts you to prayer. He works in you to pray. And then as you pray, he responds with action, okay? God has wired things to run in that fashion. And today, he is calling us to be persistent in our prayers, if you'll notice in verse 7, he says, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. Now, not only is that three different ways of saying persist, but the verb tenses themselves in Greek are, are present continual verse. In other words, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Jesus is telling us to be relentless in those things that we are to ask for. And so if you put this together with, with the Lord's Prayer, You'll realize that what he's doing is he's saying, okay, he's not teaching us how to pray. He's already done that in the Lord's Prayer, right? In the Lord's Prayer, he taught us how to pray. He taught us to pray, hallowed be your name. In other words, pray that you would know more of God, that you would treasure and love him more, that you would see his glory and his greatness and his power and his might, and that you would treasure all of that more. And so now he's telling you, you should ask for that habitually, continually perseveringly. You should not quit asking to have more and to see more of God. In the Lord's prayer, he taught us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. In other words, to look in the Bible and see what does the king want? What does the king want in my life? What is the king doing? And then now he's teaching us, you should find those things in the scripture and then you should just pray them. You should ask and ask and ask and seek and seek and seek and knock and knock and knock. He taught us in the Lord's prayer that we should ask for daily bread. And so you should habitually, you should continually ask for those things that you need. He taught us to pray for the forgiveness of sins. You should be a habitual repenter. You should be a continual confessor, okay? That's a, that's a continual thing that you would ask that God would, would deal with the sin in your life as it arises. He told us to ask for deliverance from temptation. So you should be habitual. You should be continual. You should be persistent in your praying that God would lead you out of temptation and deliver you from either. In other, in other words, at the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, he taught us how to pray. And now he's saying, okay, now that you know how to pray, now you need to pray with persistence. You need to pray and not quit. And I'm going to thinking, well, is that really the point of this little section in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, ask and be given, seek and you'll find, knock and be opened, and then he tells us about a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. It's absolutely the point of the passage. The point of the passage is to ingrain in us this relentlessness, this persistence, this habitual, continual, day after day, moment after moment, life of prayer. Now, how do I know that? Luke chapter 11. Okay, so when you go to Luke chapter 11, you find, again, the Sermon on the Mount, and really the same things, but Luke frames it a little different, and I want, I want you to see how Luke frames it, okay? So in Luke chapter 11, the first four verses are the Lord's Prayer, okay, just like we have in Matthew, all right? And then in verse 9, you have the passage that we just read, where in verse 9, Luke says, I tell you, ask, and it'll be given to you, seek, and you'll find, knock, and it'll be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives, um, he who seeks finds, he who knocks will be open. What father among you? If he asks for, uh, if his son asks for a fish, he'll give him a, a serpent. If he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. So, so same, same thing. But do you notice what he frames right in the middle? Okay, so Lord's Prayer is the first four verses. And then the passage that we've been reading is verses 9 through, uh, through 13. But look at verse 5, okay? So right in the middle is this passage. And he said to them, this is Luke eleven five. Which of you has a friend 
who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For I have a friend of mine that's arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. It's, it's a big word that means persistence. It's a big word that means continual knocking, pleading, relentlessness. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then our passage, ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open. All right? So, so Jesus, he actually does this three times in the gospel. Three different ways, okay? So, so the first way is, is the, the passage we'll read here in just a little bit about bad fathers knowing how to give good gifts to their children, okay? So how much more a good father? And in this passage, lousy friends who won't get out of bed to give you any bread, they will if you keep knocking, right? If you keep them up for 20 minutes, at some point they're like, well, everybody's up, I might as well get, I got to shut this guy up some way, right? In Luke 18, he does it again. Jesus tells a story and he frames it with prayer. He says, I'm telling you this story so that you will pray and not give up. Luke 18, he says that. That's where he begins chapter 18. He says, I'm telling you the story so that you will pray every day, so that you will pray every night, so that you will pray relentlessly, so that you will pray at noon, so that you will pray throughout your day. You'll be relentless in asking. He said, that's why I'm telling you this. And then he he tells a story about an unjust judge. Right? There's this widow who has this need, and she comes to the unjust judge. This dude is wicked. He's terrible. He doesn't care about anybody. He doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about the widow. He, He doesn't care about anybody but himself. But what does Jesus say the widow does? Man, she's relentless. Like she's there every day. He parks his car. There she is. Justice, justice, you know. He goes in the courthouse. There she's at. Every time the courthouse door opens, justice, 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 you know. He goes to play a little golf, you know. He's got his back swing, swing going back. Justice, you know. Finally, he's like, look, I don't care about you. I don't care about your case. I don't care about justice. But I'm, I'm going to give you what you need. Because you're persistent. You see, Jesus tells three different stories that, that all basically give us worst case scenarios where people get what they need because they are persistent. And then he says this. You see, all those, all those stories are not... What, what he, don't, don't think that he's saying, well, God is a lousy friend and a bad father and, uh, and an unjust judge. No, 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 no. He's saying God is the best of friends God is the best of fathers, and God is the best of judges. So why aren't you relentless? Why? Why would we, you know what you know what's amazing to me? Why would we need to be told this? In that, in that, why would we need to be told this? We okay. If you're in this room and you're a Christian, that means that you, at some point in your life, realized your desperate situation in sin. You realized that you're destined for hell and there's nothing you can do about it. And your eyes were open to see the Savior and to see that he is the perfect man who lived the perfect life on your behalf. And then he died to death to pay for your sins. And then by, by turning from your sins and repentance and placing your faith in Jesus, you are actually joined to his resurrection life. And And you're a joint heir with the king of kings. That's what the Bible says. And you're adopted into his family. And then as as his child, 
your father says, ask me. He says, I've given you a book full of the blessings that I want to pour in your life, full of the riches of your salvation, full of, of, of what Christ-likeness looks like. And so now you ask for it. You would think we would never need to be told twice, wouldn't you? I mean, you would think that we would just be constantly asking for these riches that God has given, but that's not the case. You, you would think that one of the big problems in the church would be guys coming into my office on Monday and saying, I got fired. What'd you get fired for? Boss caught me praying again, you know, I, but I couldn't help it, Pastor. I know I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to, but you know, I was there welding and, and all of a sudden a verse came to my mind uh, about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and about blessed are the peacemakers. Man, I just, I stopped welding, I dropped to my knees and I was just there asking God, oh God, give me that. And, I was, and then I thought of my children and I thought, oh, my, I want my son to have that. And so I was praying for him and the boss walked up and caught me and said, that's it. That's, a, that's the ninth time I've caught you praying this week. You're out of here, right? You know how many times that's happened in the last 21 years here? Not yet, okay? Not yet. Preach it, brother. Come on. Why? 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 Why don't we persist in prayer? Now, I want you to hit the pause button on the sermon, okay? Because what I'm about to give you now is just my, my struggling ability to figure out our brokenness. All right? Why, why, why don't we pursue? Why, is, why do we need these passages? Why, why do we need Matthew 5, or Matthew, Matthew, yeah, Matthew 5 and 6 and 7? And why do we need Luke 11? And why do we need Luke 18? Why, why does Jesus have to tell us multiple times and give multiple illustrations that we ought to persist in prayer? Why, why don't we do that automatically? Why aren't we already convinced? Why, why do we do everything else but pray? Why do Christians live prayerless lives? Why? I don't know that I know the answer, but let, I did uh, hear my thoughts, and I polled a bunch of the finest people in Woodward, and I also threw in some of the not-so-finest so that we could kind of get, here's some ideas about why don't we persist in prayer. Okay? i got seven of them. Number one. We have small desires for spiritual things. I think that's a big one. I, I, I just don't think we want what God has. I, I think we're so content. Just be like, well, God, if, if things are okay, and, you know, if, if I, I got the bills paid, and, and if, the, you know, the kids are doing marginally all right, then, all right, God, I'm just going to go on with my life. Instead of looking at what God says in the scriptures he wants to do in us and saying, God, I will not rest until I have that. I want it. I don't think we want it like we ought to want it. I think our wanter is broke. Number two, I think we depend on other things instead of God. I think we depend on ourselves, on our abilities, on our medicine, on our doctors, on our technology, on our influence, on our position. I think all, all kinds of things. All good things, by the way. Is there anything wrong with technology? No. No. It can be used for great things. Is there anything wrong with medicine? Please take it. You know? Is there, is there anything wrong with doctors? Please go. All good things. In fact, if, if you go to some of the doctors in our church, you know what they're going to do? They're going to pray for you. Right? I mean, it's not, they're not, it's not one or the other. It's, 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 hey, God's given these good gifts, but pray. But so many times we're dependent on that, right? We have an issue and we, we go right to the other thing. We depend on ourselves or whatever instead of God. Number three, 
And this one's a little scary, but I, I, think, I think some of us at our core, we are not convinced, we're not confident. Maybe this is where this passage comes in, that God will answer. I, I think anytime there is prayerlessness, I think anytime you look at your life and it is not full of prayer, there's some pocket of unbelief there. There's some pocket of not embracing that God is everything he said he is and that he'll do everything he said he'd do. Sometimes times of waiting, long seasons, many, many of you have been praying for something for a long time and when it doesn't happen right away, unbelief sets in, doubt sets in, discouragement sets in, despair sets in, and we stop praying. Number four, Maybe a lack of difficulty and hardship in our lives. I know some of you are going to be like, what? <laughs> you know, have you not seen my life? You know, but this is just my, my feeble attempt to figure out much of the third world. Um, I, I, I just, and I've shared this with many of you. I, I go into rural India and here's these folks that are living on right, like this much rice for the day. Maybe if they get paid. You know, and, and then Saturday night comes and they're walking 10 miles to the, to the regional church and they're praying all night long. And then in the morning they wash their face and then they go to church all morning and then they share a little meal together and then, then they go back 10 miles home. You know, they do that once a month and then the other three weeks they're meeting in their little groups in their, in their little village in their hut. I just, that's hard for me to figure out. But I've always kind of dismissed it as, well, yeah, but they also plow their fields with oxen, you know, so they're just really different than us. But then this last year, this, a couple couple weeks ago, I'm back in the city in Hyderabad, city of 9 million, and and, and Solomon says, hey, before you get on the airport, would, would you would you mind coming and, and preaching on prayer at our at our prayer service at our church? And I said, Sure. He said, well, we're praying all night. I said, okay. He said, so you'll preach about midnight. I said, all right. You know, I'm leaving at 4 a.m. What does it matter really, you know? And I'm thinking 10 people. I'm trying to be generous. I get there and there's a 1,000 on a Wednesday night, on a Wednesday night. And these, these are not the people that are walking to their huts. These are, these are people that work for Dell Computers and, you know, it's a huge tech center. And there's babies there, and there's children there. And, and I, I, the only way I can kind of piece that together in my mind is they're desperate. They're desperate for God. You know, de- desperation makes you a great prayer. Uh, have you ever read the story of blind Bartimaeus? Man, he's a cool guy. Uh, it's in Mark 10. Let me read it to you. All right, this is just bonus. You got extra stuff today, okay? Ready? This is a great story. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great cr- and, a, and a great crowd. So there's a great crowd around Jesus, and he's leaving. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Right, So here you got this guy, and he can't even see Jesus, but someone tells him that Jesus is passing by, and he starts crying out, just one after another. 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And everybody around, shh, quiet. Big, shut up. Shut your mouth. You're embarrassing us. The rabbi's leaving. Be quiet. How does he respond to that? But he cried out all the more. He just gets louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up. I like that. He sprang up. And he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I love the way the Bible downplays things, all right? Here's a guy that's been blind, right? He cannot see anything. And Jesus says, okay, recover your sight. Go, go your way. And what happened there? Like, what did that guy feel, you know? Like, like, was it a tingling sensation? Was it a burning sensation? Was it, you know, I don't know. But all of a sudden, boom, light explodes in the guy's head. And he can see. And this... His one character trait, he is desperate enough to cry out. Guys, I, I just think a lot of us, I think we're not desperate. I, I, th I think we're, you know what we are? We're fine. Aren't you? Are you fine? We're fine. How are you? I'm fine. Can I pray for, can I pray for you about anything? No. I think I'm good. I think that's the problem right there, right? There's a church in uh, Revelation uh, about that. It's Laodicea. Yeah. They, they said, we're, we're great. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're, you're poor, blind, and naked. You just don't know it. Number five. We see more value in busy activity. Now, I had a whole bunch of people tell me something in this category, and so I just tried to kind of pull it together. We see more value in busy activity, the distraction of small need-to-be-dones. All right, so the best way I think I can communicate this one is to tell you a story, okay? So here's what happened to me yesterday. So yesterday, um, I'm getting ready to come up to church about 8.30, 9 o'clock, and I'm um, getting ready to come to work. And um, when I come up here, oh, well, first of all, let me back up a little bit. Uh, little, our little guy was up. For, uh, he got up 4.45. He likes to get up early. And so uh, Saturday, I'm going to be a good husband, so I brought him with me. So my wife could take a little nap in the morning. And because um, I'm not, I'm a good husband, not a great husband, I went ahead and brought Haven too so she could watch him. And so we, we came up and uh, come up here to the church. And uh, um, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to do my sermon. So I got my stuff spread out there. And then I remember, okay, I, I want to turn on the TV, the, the, the little deal in the Fellowship Hall, so he can watch. He likes Octonauts. Have you ever watched Octonauts? But anyway, so I, I got Octonauts pulled up and everything. And, and then while I was doing that, though, I, I walked through the big room, and I remembered that last night at Joy, I had a bunch of rags that we got done with, and I'd put them in the washer, okay? So, so now, hold on, hold on, back up. I, I, I messed up this story. So before I do my sermon, before I get started on it, I always want to have an extended time of prayer, Okay? So before I do my sermon, I want to have extended time of prayer. So we get here. I get my stuff all laid out, and then I go to do the octonaut thing, and I'm getting ready to go pray. But as I walk through the big room, I remember that I put that laundry in. And so remember, I'm going to pray, but now what do I do? Oh, 
I go to take the laundry out, right? Because it's still in the washer, right? So I go to take the laundry out of the washer, but there's already laundry in the dryer. You know, there's a bunch of rags and stuff from this campus that had already been worked from, from the janitor. And so I took those out and I put them on the floor and then I put my washer stuff in the dryer and I shut it and I turned it on and then I'm going to pray. Ah, but there's this big pile of rags on the floor and church is tomorrow and I don't think anybody else will be back. So you know what I do, right? I, I fold the laundry, right? I fold all those rags because you know what happens when rags don't get folded, right? I fold all those rags and because, you know, we have a Sunday school in there, Brian Billings class, and you know what would happen if I didn't fold all those rags and say, oh, wait, nothing would happen, right? Nothing at all. You know, but anyway, but I'm folding them instead of praying, right? So I get them all folded and everything, and then I, I go again to go to my books so where to sit down to start to pray before my sermon, and I see in the hall that freight has been delivered, and I think I need to get that out of the hall before Sunday morning, and it's at that point that I thought, what are you doing, Jason? I think that's why a lot of us don't persist in prayer, Right? It's because we need to put the laundry in, and then we need to fold the laundry, because that's important, more important than, well, wait, right? Seeing more value in busy activity than prayer. Number, number six, anger, unforgiveness, and unconfessed sin. The Bible is really clear that if you have anger in your heart, you will not persist in prayer. You will not be heard. 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, for they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Isaiah 59 Verses 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or is ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Isaiah 66, 18, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. All of those verses say exactly the same thing. It says if you are holding on to your sin, if you're not dealing with your sin, your prayers are going to be hindered. And so I think a lot of people are not persisting in prayer because they're not dealing with their own heart. Finally, number seven, we have short spiritual memories, okay? Dr. K calls this gospel amnesia. I like that. We forget. We, we forget how God has come through for us time and time again. Man, I, I'm, I'm so rebuked every time Em and I stress out about something. And, and then when we stop and we say, hold on, has God not been faithful in the past? We've got these incredible stories. Moved into Kansas City. Just moved into our apartment. We don't know a soul. We know zero people in Kansas City. We go to the doctor with our baby and we've got a bill and we don't know how we're going to pay it. And we're coming back, all heads hung low, not sure how we're going to pay this bill. We walk down to our, our basement apartment in Kansas City, and on the door is an envelope. There is nothing written on the envelope. There is nothing written in the envelope. It is full of the amount of cash that we need for that bill. Why would that guy ever, ever doubt God again? We get spiritual amnesia, don't we? We were sick. We prayed. God healed us. He delivered us time and again. So, 
I, I, I think those are some reasons. Maybe you got more. Sorry if I didn't get to pull you. I must not have saw you this week or saw you when I had time to ask you. But I think those are some of the reasons why we need this passage. So what is this passage about? Well, this passage is about God encouraging you to be relentless in your prayer. So in Luke 11, we have this story about this uh, late night guest coming to, to this man's house and he's got nothing, okay? So in this time and day, they didn't have restaurants, they didn't have motels, so you would stay with, with hot people, hospitable friends. And so this guy has a friend come in, he's not expecting him, it's late at night, it's midnight. And so hospitality demands that he give him something, but he doesn't have anything. He's got nothing in his cupboard. Again, this is more like the third world where you're living day by day. He's got no bread. He's got nothing to give to the man. And so he hurries over to his friend, his neighbor, and begins to knock on the door, but the friend won't get out of bed. He said, look, it's midnight. My kids are in bed. Don't wake him up. Go away. He, he won't get out of bed because he's his friend, but he will get out of bed after the guy knocks on his door for 20 minutes and everybody's already awake. He's going to get up and give him bread. And Jesus' point here is that if a sorry, let you down, lazy friend will eventually give you what you need if you persist in knocking, how much more? That's the key phrase in this passage, how much more? You see it in Matthew, you see it in Luke, how much more? Well, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And then Jesus goes into the character of our father. So who is it that we're asking? Are we asking a lousy friend who won't get out of bed? Are we asking an unjust judge? No, no, no. We are asking the most willing, caring, attentive father imaginable who knows exactly what his children need and is eager to give it. All right, now, most of us are convinced that we're pretty good parents, all right? So if you're in here, if you're a parent in here, I think most of us would say, hey, I know I haven't, you know, I haven't always been, the, but, but I love my kids, and I've desperately tried to give them what they need. Well, Jesus says that, okay? So in verse 9, he says, which one of you, if a son asks for bread, is going to give him a stone, right? You didn't do that. When, when your kids, when it was supper time, what'd you do? You didn't put rocks on the table and say, hey, gnaw on that for a while, you know? You got peanut butter and jelly. You got some ramen noodles. You got some mashed potatoes. You got some macaroni and cheese, right? You gave them something that was good, right? He says, that, 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 that's the kind of parent that you are. He says in verse 10, if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. You haven't done that. You You've, you've known that what your kids need and you've strived to give them good things. But yet Jesus says, you're, you're not perfect fathers. He said, if you then, in verse 11, are evil. What does that mean? That means we're broken. I've tried to be a good dad, but you know what? As I look back on 24 years of parenting, man, there's been times where I missed teachable moments or I was too harsh or I was too easy or I was too lazy to confront something or, or I lost my temper or, or I didn't engage or, or they needed a hug or a word of wisdom or a scriptural truth and I was preoccupied with something else or really I should have been at home, you know, teaching Bible stories and playing with my kids and I was caught up with some problem in the church that really ended up not being a problem at all. None of us are perfect parents. We bought our little one home and she was probably like, I don't know, six months old five months old, and I was working early morning and then going to school, and then Emma went, went to work at night. She was working the night shift, and so we would just pass kind of in the early evening. I'd come in. She'd hand me the baby. She'd say, give me some instructions, and one night she came in. She handed me the baby, and she said, okay. I took her to the doctor. She has an eye infection, and so here are the drops, and I said, okay, babe, I got this. You know, I got it, babe. You go to work, and she went to work, and it's time to give her the drops, and so I put them in her eyes, and, 
And she was, it was really kind of soupy, and man, she was crying. And I looked at the drops, and it said, for oral use. You know, you, 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 you put them in the mouth. What do you do? Well, I panicked, right? And then I knew I had to get that stuff out of there. So I stuck her under the sink, you know, and I turned on the water, and I'm waterboarding her, you know? I got it all out, though. By the way, she has perfect vision. She doesn't even have glasses today. She's 24 years old, no problems. We're not perfect, parents, but we have desperately tried to give us, give our children what they need. Okay, okay, look, 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 look. Verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Do you see what he's baiting you with? He's saying, if you feel that about your kids, how much more your heavenly Father who knows how to give every perfect gift, why wouldn't you ask? Why haven't you asked? Now, this is absolutely meant to encourage you to persist in prayer. What a lot of people wanted to do with this passage is they, well, what he's saying here is I have a blank check to ask for anything and God has to give it. No, he doesn't. 1 John 3.22 talks about our obedience being a factor in answered prayer. 1 John 5.14 talks about the will of God being a factor in answered prayer. James 4.3 talks about asking for the right things, not for selfish pleasures being a, a factor in prayer. But, but listen to what Jesus says in this passage. It, it really sums it up. He says, God gives good gifts. He says, how much more? How much more, if then you being evil know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things? So this is not this blank check where we just ask for whatever. No, this, this is Jesus telling us your Father knows how to give you good things. The Luke 11 passage actually clears this up completely because he changes it a little bit. Uh, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's a good father, and he'll give good gifts. Yesterday, we were coming up here again to the church, and uh, so I had Haven, and I had Colt, and I didn't tell you this. I actually had the turtle as well. So uh, Colt brought his turtle, and I'm in there studying. I'm working on this, and he comes up to me. He's got a string that he found somewhere, and he says, uh, he says Dad, can we put a leash on my turtle? And I, I think I'm a good dad, and I said, absolutely, bud. And I got some duct tape, and we taped that leash on the back of his shell. And so he's got a little leash, and so now he takes his turtle for a walk. And the turtle doesn't walk. He actually tucks up, you know, and, but he slides real well. So he just slides, and he walks him. We were leaving. We went to visit a church member uh, early morning there or mid-morning. And we got outside, and there's grasshoppers all over uh, jumping in the, in the grass. They're, they're really thick this year. And he's trying to catch one. He can't catch one. He says, Dad, you help me catch a grasshopper. I think I'm a good dad. I said, I said, absolutely, bud. We caught a couple grasshoppers, put it in our donut bag, got it up, more, more to play with, you know. A little bit later, we're back in the church, and he's playing in the big room, and he comes in, and he says, Dad, I found a spider. I was like, oh, let's go look at it. We go look at it. It's a gnarly-looking nasty spider. He says, Dad, will you catch the spider for me? No. Nope. Nope. No, we're going to leave it or we're going to step on it, but we're not catching it. It's not a good thing. Don't you think your father does the same thing in heaven? 
He knows how to good, give good gifts to those who ask. Which is why, and we learned this when we were going through the Lord's Prayer, which is why we need this, okay? Man, if you, if you haven't learned to pray the Word of God, oh, you're missing out. Man, this is, this is a prayer book, all right? Not only do you have an entire 150 chapters of Psalms that actually are the prayers of the saints, you know? Where, where you just, you're just pulling them out. I mean, they're just jewels. And, and, and David and other, the other psalmists are teaching us to pray, but you, get, you got this whole New Testament that, that, that's teaching you what to pray for, teaching you what your Father wants for you. So we, we discern from the Word of God the good gifts. See, the, the, God, God gives good gifts. He doesn't give bad gifts. So we discern from His own Word what the good gifts are. And then we ask, and we ask, and we seek, and we seek, and we knock, and we knock. But I, I know we still got to deal with this. Because some of you have some really hurtful situations. And you're going to say to me, but why doesn't he answer immediately? Well, you say, Pastor, I've been praying about this thing for two years, three years, five years, ten years. Why doesn't he answer immediately? Here's some thoughts. Number one, sometimes we're not asking for the right thing. And, and you know what happens when we pray? God, God adjusts our prayers. Sometimes it's not even the, the wrong thing, but it needs to be fine-tuned. Man, I've, I've got one prayer. I can't, I actually, I, I thought about sharing this, but I don't think I can. It involves too many people, but, but there's one prayer in my life that I've been praying for years. And as I pray, you know what God does? He, he shifts it. He, he's like, when I think about what I was praying three years ago, I think about, I'm, I'm actually praying a little bit different now. And it's through the relentless time with my father praying, he's showing me, no, 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 this is better. What you're asking is good, but, but fine tune that, fine tune it. Sometimes we need, we need to adjust the attitude with which we ask, right? Sometimes, sometimes we need to continue to persist and pray because we're not, we're not actually asking right. Right? We know that as parents, right? Your, your kid could ask for a good thing, but if they're asking for a good thing in the wrong way, you don't give it, right? Let's say they want some juice. Juice is a good thing. But if your child comes up and says, hey, slave mama, give Prince here some juice. You know what I think a good parent does? You're not getting any juice until you learn to ask rightly. I think our father does the same thing. Number two, We need to consider that prayer is about more than simply getting exactly what we think we need. You see, man, prayer, prayer is about dependence on God. Prayer is about a relationship with our Father. Prayer is about seeing His glory and depending on Him. Prayer is about faith. John Calvin said one time that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Right now, if that's true, and I believe it is, then Shouldn't we want to pray relentlessly? Because when we pray relentlessly, what are we doing? We're exercising our faith relentlessly. Think about uh, Abraham. 75 years old, and God says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Now, why, why didn't Sarah get pregnant that day? Instead, they wait 24 years, all right? Now, waiting 24 years for a baby is a big deal. Waiting 24 years when you're already 75, 
Why? What was God doing in Abraham? He was teaching that guy to trust him. And I, I can't prove this, but I bet you anything. Genesis 22, if, if God had given the baby that, that, that year, I bet you anything Genesis 22 would have never happened. After Isaac was born and God said, okay, now give him back to me. I bet Abraham would not have been able to do that had he not spent 24 years calling out to God and learning to trust him. See, we need prayer. And we, we actually need to wait on some things, don't we? Number three, we, we may not be ready. You know, have your kids ever asked you for something that was good, but they just weren't ready for it yet? You know, how many of you had little boys that, you know, they're about four years old and they, they figure out this hunting deal and they're like, dad, can I have a gun? Man, learning to hunt with your dad is a really cool thing. You may not be ready when you're four though, right? You may need some time to learn to be responsible with this gift, to learn to appreciate the, the value of it and, and to learn to be safe with it, to learn to use it in a proper way. And there's times where, where God's saying, hey, what you're asking is a good thing, but you're not ready, so you need to keep asking so that I can make you ready. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes God's not ready. Now, no, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, did you know that all of life is not about Jason? Did you know that? It took me a while to learn that, 18 years, honestly. It's not, it's not all about me. Actually, there's this cosmic plan sent from eternity past that is moving through the universe, and it's going to culminate in the exaltation of Jesus Christ over all of his enemies. And the, the complete victory of the kingdom of God. And the resurrection of the saints. And the new heavens and the new earth. That's where it's all going. And, and I and hopefully you get to be a part of that story. And so sometimes the things we're asking for, we need to wait. You know why? Because it's not ready for the, the story yet. I think about the Israelites in Egypt. If you look back, that's the Exodus, right? In Genesis 15, God told Abraham that they would be there and that they would be there for a long time. Now, they were crying out the whole time for deliverance, but it was 430 years before they were delivered. But way back in Genesis, God told Abraham, he said, they're going to be there because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, the promised land's not ready for them. In my, in my plan, the promised land's got to be ready, and it's not ready yet. So keep crying out, because I will deliver you. There's all kinds of reasons why we need to trust God and simply be persistent. All right, so big question, big question, big question. What are you asking God for? I ask people that a lot. And you would be surprised at how often there is not an answer. What are you asking God for? Hey, what can I pray for you about? Oh, hey, nothing, Pastor. I'm fine. What are, you, what are you asking for? What, what in the scriptures, what good thing that God has promised, what, what blessing? Is it blessed are the meek? Are you asking for meekness? Blessed are the pure in heart? Are you asking for, for pure and, purity of heart? Blessed are the self-controlled. Man, that's everywhere in Proverbs. The man who, man who can control his temper. Are you asking for that? Blessed are the hunger and thirst for righteousness or the peacemaker or the man that loves his wife like Christ loves the church. Or the woman that submits to her husband as, as the church does to Christ. Or the children that 
obey their parents or the parents that raise their children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. And it's everywhere. And so what are you asking for? What are you asking for your children? Is it, is it just God keep them healthy, help them get good grades, pray their batting average would be great, that they'd go to college? Let me tell you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of adults that got good grades, had a good batting average, went to college, and they're headed straight for hell. What are you asking for your kids? What are you asking for yourself? What are you asking for your daily bread? I mean, I, I'm telling you, that, that sermon a couple months ago on, on daily bread, that impacted me. Like, I, I just realized that I was not praying for the little things in my life. I was just like handling them, you know? I mean, that's, that has changed in the Dirks household. Our battery light came on on the Honda two days ago. We have prayed as a family for that light like three times already. And I've prayed personally for it a couple times. I mean, God just taught me a lesson. Hey, Jason, you're not independent. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray. What are you asking for? I hope you got some things you're asking for. And what Jesus is commanding you now is that you be relentless in bringing those things to God. Let's be obedient. Father, I thank you for being a good father who knows how to give good gifts to your children. And I thank you, Father, for uh, being, being a God who hears us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would put in us such a relentless spirit of prayer. God, that we, we would not cease to come to you for all that we need. Father, put that in us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.